0: Uh, your mouth is. Your hand is over your mouth. <laughs> That's the exact expression I had on I heard.
1: Well, just when you described, they did this in the middle of the night.
0: I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's historian laureate, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Waskahikan on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, I find people with questions about local history and then we find out the answers together. This episode, The Great Apartment Caper. Pamela Leermond asked me to verify a story about her grandpa that sounded too good to be true. This has been one of the most fun episodes to make so far. Not just because of Pamela's story about her grandpa Mikawasu, which I wouldn't mind hearing this story told to me every day over breakfast, but also because I think it shows off how the process of researching. If you're curious about the truth, and about a high standard for proving what's true, that determination ends up defining you, shaping you. It starts on the snowy steps of the Alberta Legislature on a cold November morning.
2: Are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my name is Pamela Leermond, and uh, we have a family story that we're trying to dig up a little bit more history on. Uh, it happened here in Edmonton in the late 1970s, we think, um, but like any family story, there's been a lot of retellings, and so we're not quite sure of the facts. So I was hoping that we could dig up some some of the truth to the story uh, and have some of it verified. So, uh, do you want me to tell the story? Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna take a deep breath.
0: This is an amazing story. <laughs>
2: Uh, the story goes that um, my grandfather, uh, who's now deceased, so this is part of the reason that we maybe don't have, have all the facts, is um, he owned an apartment building on 97th Street and during the expansion of 97th Street, they uh, annexed some of the properties and his apartment building was on one of those.
0: A similar thing to when they appropriate land for the LRT, right? Like they buy the land on either side of the road so they can do their thing in the roadway.
2: I think so. And so I I understand that you don't have a lot of choice in the matter. So they buy the property and and you have to agree to it. So um, he went through that process and uh, sort of begrudgingly uh, sold the property to the city. But uh, unbeknownst to city officials, he purchased a piece of land about three blocks north of where the apartment building was, or this is what how the story is told. Um, he dug a foundation uh, and poured, you know, the basement. And then, in the middle of the night, before the property was to be demolished, he had his some of his friends in the fire department, because he worked at the fire department, uh, actually help him move the apartment building to the new foundation. So I believe that they cut it off sort of at ground level, put it onto a large flatbed truck, had to move it through those three blocks. So I think that streetlights and some things were sort of rearranged in order to make this happen. We're talking
0: about the whole building moving down the street.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's what I understand. Uh, so I think the apartment building had probably 12 units, but the, the people who were in the basement obviously had to move out. Uh, the rest of the building was put on the truck moved those three blocks and then set down on the new foundation Uh, and as the story goes nothing had to be moved from the apartment so all of the furniture everything stayed there Uh, all they did was secure the lights so that they weren't moving around too much the existing tenants were put into a hotel for the evening and then I believe they got to move right back into their home the next day so it was kind of a I think a bit of a coup I don't know, my, my grandfather had a bit of a wild personality, so he, it was really hard-working, but uh, yeah, he just didn't want to see this apartment building be demolished, be taken down to the ground. He thought there was still some value in it. So I understand that the reason that he was able to do this is somehow he had it written into the contract that he could have salvage rights to the building. Which normally means that you can like take refrigerators and appliances that kind of thing Uh, but in this case he took the entire building
0: talk about having your cake and eating it too
2: yeah so i i don't that's as much as we know about the story and so now we're hoping to dig up a little bit more maybe get some truth here because as I mentioned this is sort of like a, a retelling an oral history within the family um, and you know how things can kind of get muddled through many retellings
0: yeah so we are here on the uh, now sort of snowblown steps of the legislature in November um, because I was looking for a place where we might be able to find an old newspaper article that you think exists about this and um, And there are a couple places in the city that have some old Edmonton Sun articles. The Legislature Library, which is a library here in the Legislature, happens to have um, articles on microfilm going back to April of 1978. So, fingers crossed... (laughs) Uh, this will uh, be the right period and yeah I'm excited because this story is hilarious um, <laughs> I'm excited just to compare how this family story stacks up to what was reported in the newspaper um, and also I'm excited because this library is so cool if, if you haven't ever heard of it listeners it's inside the legislature anybody can go in and access it you can get a card for free and they have a pretty awesome collection of history and politics and the collections seems to be stuff that might be eventually relevant to legislators um so they on the last episode our episode investigating ku klux klan history in alberta um we uh dug up a couple books on ku klux klan history here at the library um anything else before we go in pamela
2: no, I'm just excited, hoping that we dig up something that's going to be useful. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay, let's find out. I might be here a minute, unpacking yeah. here. <laughs> The Legislature Library is, to date, the only library I've ever been to where you have to sign into security at the entrance and go through a metal detector. But that's because it's, you know, inside the Legislature. They gave us visitor passes that were good for the library and the cafeteria. And after emptying out our pockets and then refilling them, we made it to the library and met Heather Close.
1: My name is Heather Close. I'm the Reference and Research Services Coordinator here at the Alberta Legislature Library. Uh, why don't we go to the back of the library and get settled? Um, our microfilm readers are actually over there. Um, but we need to find out what you need us to pull from our storage areas and what we're talking about.
0: Great.
2: Okay, so how about. We- Do you get calls from the public often to Um, dig up, like, personal history?
1: We do actually, you know, we're sitting here right now. These are the Alberta Weekly Community Newspapers and we have the best collection in existence, right? In fact, our, our community news- newspapers go back to, I'd say the late 1880s, covers the entire province. So the public will come here looking for their genealogy, looking for obituaries and wedding announcements and that type of thing. So I'd say that that's one of the big draws for the public coming into our library.
0: Yeah, I just noticed we're sitting in front of like the Drayton Valley Western Review and the Millwoods Mosaic.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of a party trick. If you say Barhead, I say Barhead Leader. <laughs> I know the names of the community newspapers from across the province
0: because of this collection. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So Pamela started telling the story again, and Heather pretty much had the same reaction I did. Yeah,
2: reposition it. So they drove it down the street and then dropped it onto the new foundation
0: your mouth is or your hand is over your mouth that's the exact expression that I had when I heard.
2: well just when you described they did this in the middle of the night yeah <laughs> so I think that it wasn't really the city wasn't aware that it was happening it was sort of done uh, I guess under the table <laughs> because he he thought that the building still had a lot of value he didn't want it to have it demolished uh, and so yeah this was his way of kind of salvaging it and keeping his existing tenants so I was telling Chris that the tenants moved out just for the evening. They left everything in the building, as, a, as we understand it. Um, and yeah, so that building was just sort of shifted and dropped onto the new foundation.
1: I have so many questions about yeah, this.
2: Which I might not be able to answer, to be honest.
1: <laughs> right, so so everybody who lived in the building must have been aware that this was going to happen, right? And the city was not aware. Was the For the purchase price of the
2: building, would that have been part of the purchase price, the city? Right. So I think that's where there was some, maybe he was sort of pushing some boundaries a little bit because they did purchase the building, uh, assuming that they would then demolish it. I wonder how they felt, though, when they showed up with, with the bulldozers and the building was already gone. <laughs> you almost kind of wondered, like, they would, might think, hey, this is great. Now we don't have to do our job today. It's done for us.
1: I'm imagining Vogon constructor fleets.
0: From uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy?
1: (laughs) Just showing up except for this would sort of be the opposite where what they were there to demolish was no longer there. (laughs) So so what is your time frame that you have here? You said late 70s early 80s. That's actually a really significant amount of time to scroll through news microfilm newspapers. Mm -hmm. So just to pull our microfilm and start looking through day by day by day is not necessarily the best approach or it's one of the more painful approaches.
2: Yeah, we, we don't, don't have, have that much time, so um, right. we were we able to figure out when 97th Street was widened? Because I feel like that would help to sort of target oh, uh, a date.
0: I don't have that information.
2: Like, is there a search? Um, See, and it's interesting because
1: the time frame that you're looking at, if you're trying to do research with newspapers, it's a bit of a, a black hole in a way because... Um, no, the, uh, the electronic databases are, are licensed subscription too. The electronic databases just don't cover that time period. They don't go back that far. So it can be difficult to find articles in that time. So you might try something like Google News where they've done some of the scanning and some of, the, it, of it is available electronically to search. But those, I mean, it's hit and miss. There's very... Few and far between uh, newspapers that actually have been done completely. So.
0: So there's no keyword search for this period.
1: Uh, no, not electronically, but we do have newspaper clipping files here um, uh, that cover that time period. I mean, this is a. We're focused more on provincial affairs, obviously, right? So this might not be something that the librarians would have clipped as part of the newspaper clipping service but we can certainly check to see and especially if there's the widening of the road that might be something that if we looked under our heading for infrastructure transportation or something along those lines we might be able to find.
0: When I called the City Archives to see if they had any articles they said they do have a a file on 97th Street so we might be able to get them to search this morning to to see if they can find the date that the street was widened um so we could do like sort of simultaneously i could be on the phone with them um while you guys start to microfilm or something hey melissa this is chris uh great how are you uh good good things are good (laughs) i quickly called up the city of Edmonton archives to ask melissa mccarthy one of the archivists any clues she could find about when 97th street was widened their microfilm is not um uh keyword indexed that far back um of course. so they want to try to narrow it down a bit by trying okay. to find out when the street was widened um would you be able to help us dig through that 97th street um uh box of material to see sure um, oh it's only one file i don't know how big it is but it shouldn't be That's certainly not a box. Oh, great. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, even if we have like a date range of when the street was widened, that helps us narrow down which newspapers to look through. Okay, what's your deadline? Um, We are currently working on it, so if you can give me a call back this morning, that would be great. Um, Otherwise, we will, like, we're we're currently working on it right now, looking through microfilm stuff. Understood. Yeah. Okay, I will head down and fetch it and see if I can find anything. Either way, I'll give you a call back to let you know if we do or we don't. I just want to say this is not the kind of request that they usually take. Usually, you give the reference archivists at the city archives a little bit of information about what you're looking for, and then they pull up the folders and boxes of records for you, and you look through them yourself. So, Melissa, thank you again. Sorry, Melissa, you say? I had no idea uh,
2: what the process would be like. So this is this is interesting. It's great to chat with Heather.
0: She knows a lot. Heather let us follow her down to the basement where they keep the microform records. Wow, we're definitely going down to the basement now. Cool, we just went through a, a we had to use a key card to get into this door. This definitely looks like a much more mechanical area. We're just able to get through get underneath some of these pipes. There's old no sign for the Legislature Cafeteria down here. She took out some microfiche clippings they had on traffic and she let us pick the rolls of microfilm oh, we okay. wanted to go through.
1: Microfiche.
0: Okay. Okay. So this isn't like a spool of film, this is like a little card. Yeah,
1: so fiche basically actually is film that's been cut and put on these little cards. So it's just just a different format.
2: So with the card, it contains everything related to the subject heading? Yeah, okay. it would be that
1: which the librarians selected. You can kind of see the thing okay. is about microform is that all you really need to read microform is a light and a magnifying glass, so they're, and they're quite durable, right? So this is a great preservation copy for this
0: material. Each roll had a month of issues of the Edmonton Sun on it. So we figured, let's take as much as we can carry from 1978 and 1979. We should be able to go through that in the morning, right? Oh, sweet innocent past, Chris and Pamela, you had no idea. Okay, I can carry a a couple boxes here. here. Yes, I should have brought my little
1: trolley. (laughs) I have a little grocery basket. Oh, (laughs) this is okay too. uh, And I I can take some some
0: too. Heather took us back up to the library and showed us how to view our first Edmonton Sun roll from 1978 on the microform reader.
2: So let's get, get you set up. Okay, should we do it chronologically? Would that make the most sense? That way we won't lose track of where we are. <laughs> April 1978. G. Okay. Fire this up.
0: It, it looks like a big computer, but it, it's, it's not? It's a projector?
1: It's, it, it's, yeah, it's basically a projector. Hmm can read the fish that we were looking at, as well as the film, and whether it's this wider film or the narrower, it adjusts. So I'm just gonna actually sit down and do this. Sure. If you'd like. So we pull the carrier out, put the spool, lock it in place, feed the film underneath the roller and the glass okay. until you feel a bit of resistance and it won't go any further. And then, and as we were
0: loading action. that up, Melissa McCarthy from the City of Edmonton Archives called me back.
1: Automatically catches it and loads it for you? Oh,
0: yes. This is the archives. Chris speaking. <laughs> Sorry, can you say that again? Wait, what, what did you find? Uh, I've got an article from the journal. Uh, lots bought to widen 97th Street, January 17,
1: 1980.
0: Oh, that helps a lot because we're looking at 1978. Okay, cool. Okay. The article Melissa found from January 1980 said the city was indeed planning on buying land on that part of 97th Street in the future. So this was our first documented clue that any of this was true.
2: There? Like how... A little bit. Okay.
0: Pertinent like, information. Yes. yes you did. have so, narrowed it down. Yeah, they said um, that there's an article on like lots being bought um, on 97th Street in that range from January to May
2: 1980. 1980? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it would be... Early. Maybe a bit so we're early. early. Yeah. Okay. Um... Okay. Yeah.
0: Awkward pause as we all realized we'd just brought up two years of the wrong files. Fast forward a little bit, Heather found us files from 1980 and onward. Okay, the the form in general is called microform.
1: Yeah, and then there's microfilm, which is just basically the reel of film. That's what
0: we're hearing right now is Pamela going through the reel of film. Yeah, so
1: you're winding through the reel. But what they do is they'll take film and they'll cut it into a fiche. So that's microfiche. So the microfilm is usually just the chronological newspaper, right? Whereas the fiche, you add the subject headings, and each fiche represents either a time period or a subject matter. Does that make sense? It's terrible.
0: Can you give me an example of, like, within the stuff that we have right now, is any of this microfiche?
1: the, The Edmonton Sun is on microfilm. And it's just filmed chronologically. They take the newspaper and fill page after page after page. Mm. The microfiche is what we use for things like our newspaper clippings. So you will have one microfiche, one page of microfiche that will be on a certain subject matter.
0: Is that what I'm looking at right now with the traffic?
1: Right, that's the microfiche. So those are newspaper clippings um, that um, are arranged by subject. So one fiche will cover one topic.
0: it's like a little plastic card sort of yeah Yeah. okay neat okay microform is the general form microfilm Mm -hmm. is the real microfiche is these little cards indexed by like subject Mm -hmm. okay cool thank you honestly we spent hours going through those slides of microfiche and rolls of microfilm it took way longer than we expected to go through the microfilm because you have to watch each page go by in chronological order and the dials are kind of touchy in the end Pamela and I could only get through two months of issues of the Edmonton Sun. And the best thing we found wasn't even in there. It was a record of an MLA mentioning in 1983 that the road had now been widened. Okay, so. Mm -hmm.
1: So I've got these hits. So I immediately went to 1983, Uh and there's just here a member who, I go to the first hit, and a member is commenting. Where he says driving on 97th Street or 82nd Street has been much improved since the widening. Okay. So uh, this isn't an answer, but this is a source that I'm comfortable with that I can go in and have a look at.
0: That was something that Heather found by searching through the Hansard. The Hansard is the official newspaper of everything that members of the Legislative Assembly say while they're debating in the House. That's all we got though. Proof that 97th Street was widened between 1980 and 1983. A time range of three years, didn't feel like a dazzling prize for four people working at this for a whole morning.
2: I've been through April 1st through 30th, 1980, and then just September 1st through 15th,
0: 1980.
2: Wow. That takes a long time. Three reels. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a quick process for sure. Wow. Okay. Okay. And my eyes are swimming. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think you should take regular breaks when you're doing microfiche.
0: Okay. I'm going to take a lunch break.
2: Word to the wise.
0: Um, and then, yeah. But okay. it's
2: interesting. I learned a lot about the 1980s. Me too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, what's one, weir- one weird thing you learned about Edmonton in the 1980s?
2: Um, one weird thing. Uh, I think just what struck me most was the cost of things, house prices, but also that mortgage rates, interest rates were over 11%. That was pretty intense. Wayne Gretzky made the news fair amount. Yeah, that was pretty big. Oh, 75th. Uh, Alberta had its 75th birthday in 1980, in case you forgot. (laughs) All of these very important milestones that I got to relive through this microfiche. so. Um...
0: So we gave up for that day at the legislature library. And Pamela and I started working on two separate tracks of research. She kept searching through old newspapers on microfilm. She even went to the White Crossing branch of the public library to dig through old Edmonton Journal articles, in case her family had misremembered the name of the newspaper. She was a really good sport about how painfully slow it is to use those microfilm readers. Meanwhile, I tried to learn more about the building. As the story goes, it used to be called the Royal Crown Apartments. The current building is called the Gateway Apartments. I didn't have any luck finding contact information online for the current owners of the Gateway Apartments building, whoever they might be. So I figured, why not just go there myself? At its current spot, the building is pretty close to the corner of 97th Street with that huge baseball bat. And 97th Street really is gigantic at that spot. Walking across the street makes you feel like you're in a little boat sailing across an ocean. I walked up to the address we had and the impression I got from the building was, this is a very ordinary building. Two stories high with a half basement sticking up above the ground, brick outside, concrete foundation. You better believe I looked for a seam at the foundation where it might have been plopped down. And there was kind of a line there, but maybe it was just weird cracking over the years. It looked plausible, but not conclusive. I saw two numbers listed above the front door. I tried both and just got voicemail. I tried again, still no answer. I lingered in case somebody went in or out so I could ask about the owner, but nobody else was around. And then I thought, Maybe there's a back door. I walked around back and hit the jackpot. There was a printed out piece of paper taped to the inner door and the back entrance. And it was signed by an owner named Adam Love. And it listed one of the same phone numbers from the front door. So I had a name. There was still no answer when I tried the number, but I felt like we had a lead. And we got one on Pamela's end too. She kept shaking down her family for photos and dates. And one of her aunts came through. She found an old photo album with a page dated Fall 1981. It had a clipping from a newspaper article with a picture of the same building in front of a truck that said, wide load, and a caption. The caption read, When Mike Owasu makes a move, he doesn't leave anything behind. When the city expropriated the land Owasu's apartment block stands on at 11920 97th Street to make way for a new road, he got Ron Movers to take his 150-ton building a block down the street. In the corner of the clipping there was a little banner of text that said moving on and underneath the picture someone wrote to her aunt judy in red pen well judy your dad did it and then there was a glossy photo of her grandpa mike in front of the apartment building with lots of planks of wood around him at this point you're probably feeling what i was feeling we got confirmation at last that the building actually moved it's too bad that somebody clipped out the name of the newspaper that articles from and the date But with the name of the mover, we could just call up the company and ask to speak with them. And now we had the name of the current owner, so he probably knew the whole story too. Sadly, that was not what happened. The current owner, Adam Love, called back. He said the story sounded familiar, but that was before his time. We weren't able to get in touch with the previous owners through him. And I followed up on the name of the mover, Ron Mix, and his company, Mix the Mover. But when I tried the number that I found for that company, I got this. You've just
1: dialed a number that isn't in use. Please check your directory or dial zero for assistance. Thank you
0: from TELUS. And when I looked for Ron Mix, I found an obituary. We tried so many other ways to fill in the missing details. Guys, I thought about calling this part of the show the Dead Ends Corner. You would not believe how hard we tried to find someone who was there or could remember the day it happened. But the deadline for this episode was approaching. So I told Pamela to come over to my place so we could debrief the whole journey. And this is the part where all I can say is keep listening all the way to the end of our conversation. Um, can I take your coat? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, black
2: tea, green tea? Uh, green would be lovely. Thank you. Great. I can I be with these two? I'm taking
0: So, yeah, I wish we had more of a... Success. More <laughs> success, yeah. But um, I think we'll, we'll still have a good, a good conversation to share with people about what they, what they can learn from historical research.
2: Yes, yeah, learn from our mistakes.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. we, uh, I don't think we made any mistakes, but we um, could definitely use more time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a process. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. This is such a lovely story, too. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun to go over like all the exhaustive list of things that we tried. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, the tea is steeping, so. Okay, yeah. Do you mind if I just? Do it. Okay. So, we, to confirm whether this happened, we tried the Sun Archives at the Legislature Library, the Journal I- Archives at the Whitemode Library you went to? Whitemode Crossing, yeah. White Um, I actually went physically to the building, got the current owner's (laughs) phone number, Adam Love, um, and tried to get a hold of, through him, you know, the previous owners, couldn't get a hold of any of them. Um, you went through your family's photo albums. Uh, you talked to like a billion (laughs) ants.
2: Well, I have three ants, but yeah, close to a billion. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, uh, I tried... Uh, investigating a land title search that that went nowhere though um we tried the city of edmonton archives um and then we tried mix the mover the company that you found out actually moved the building um so that was that was awesome that you found that um but we couldn't get a hold of anyone from mix the mover so that's that was too bad that's pretty good though i think that list
2: yes that that's definitely an exhaustive list yeah
0: so what we couldn't find was the newspaper article you were looking for Right. right And then uh, we couldn't get a hold of anyone associated with the building to pinpoint when it happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the date is still a bit of a mystery, although I think we narrowed it down yeah. to the fall 1981. Probably. Yeah. yeah.
0: What What would it have meant to you if we could have talked to someone who was actually there the day that it moved?
2: Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Uh, Definitely to hear their interpretation of the story would have been really interesting to see how it parallels with what I've heard and the story that I tell. Um, but yeah, also just to kind of like have everything confirmed.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was amazing, That break- I feel like it was such a huge breakthrough when you found that picture in your aunt's photo album. Well, yeah. Can you tell the story of that?
2: Uh, sure, so I mean, we've been, as a family, kind of collectively uh, looking for evidence of this and I sent an email to all of my aunts just explaining the process that we've been going through.
0: Oh I wonder who that is.
2: (laughs) Someone with information
0: (laughs) Come on in, gentlemen. Pamela I have a surprise for you. A surprise? Hello Hello. (laughs) Allow me to introduce you to Ed Marusin and Marwan Marsden. Hi. Hi. Two gentlemen who helped move your grandpa's building.
2: <gasps> Are you for real? Oh my god! <sighs> I can't even believe this. Hello. This is Hello.
0: Pamela Learman. Pam. Hi. Hi.
2: It's a pleasure to meet you. Sorry, I'm a bit stunned. That's very cool. <laughs> Way to go! Give me a hug! <laughs>
0: oh man, it's like the Oprah I, moment. I was
2: just gonna say, I feel like I'm on the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs>
0: what? Can I take your coats?
3: Oh, I just put them down
0: here? Sure, sure.
2: Whoa, oh, this is so cool.
0: <laughs> when
2: you asked me what would it mean to you, I didn't really think of it as a possibility, so I didn't realize that it would be such a moment. Nice to meet you. I'm sure this is like yeah, common you I'd love to hear, yeah, Yeah. your side of the story.
3: Well you're gonna hear some of it. Yeah. I've forgotten all of
0: it. I know.
2: So tell me how you
3: Okay.
0: Okay. Here's 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 what (laughs) you didn't know. Yeah. Um so Pamela so Pamela is Mike the firefighter's granddaughter. Yeah. And um Uh, She found a little newspaper clipping that mentioned that Mix the Mover um, was the company that moved it, Uh but the date had been cut out and the name of the newspaper had been cut out. But since we had Mix the Mover, we had Ron Mix's name and the name of the company. Uh So um, I did a search for his name. Um, I found his obituary from 2005, is that right?
3: uh, December 16th.
0: December 16th, 2005. Um, and through that, I just started calling everybody listed in the obituary. Um, and I found um, his sister in law, Barbara Hutt, yeah. finally answered the phone. And I asked her, Does this ring a bell? Do you know Ron Mix, your brother? Like, was, was Ron Mix your brother in law? Did he have a moving company? She said, Oh, yeah, that's Ron. Um, so she connected me to Marwin, who connected me to Ed. And, uh, they were kind enough to
2: and the rest is history oh my goodness
0: (laughs) (laughs) come on in come on in let's uh uh, that's the only picture i could find
4: ah. that's
0: with our beams under it marwin found uh yeah a picture of the building itself the apartment building yeah
2: that's a much better picture actually than the one that we have unreal and you went to the building recently does it still look like this yeah yeah
0: exactly
2: nothing's changed I do guess. you mind describing it, Pamela? The building? Sure. So uh, it's two stories, not including the basement, uh, or the lowest level. And it has, it looks like, do you think there are four units on each level? Well, I th-
3: could be. I, I'm not sure. sure. I, mean, I think, I think yeah, they right. have. At least four. I think it was a uh, 6 was a basement.
0: This is Ed here, we're hearing yeah. from. Yeah.
3: So uh, that's so all I can remember now. And I can remember uh, us, and uh, we had to go underneath it, we had to make runways, you know, uh, and back our tra- uh, the beams and all under under there, so. And as we moved it off, we had to take the blocks from the back, move them to the front until you know, we got it off.
0: Do you wanna, Penelope, tell the story that um, you know?
2: Yeah, I'd love to actually retell it. And I'm not gonna lie, I made some notes because <laughs> I feel a lot of pressure to make sure that I tell this story right for my family. <laughs> Because obviously it's gonna be shared. Yes. <laughs> okay so with that being said I'll start with yes. the beginning. Okay so um, this is obviously my retelling of the story you mm. might remember it differently but uh, I'll share my version. Uh, so we thought that it happened in like the late 70s early 80s um, which is actually before I was born, so a little while ago, not something I remember. Um, And when the city was widening 97th Street, north of 118th Avenue, uh, they expropriated some land on the west side of the street. So my grandpa Mikey, whom you probably met, yeah, uh, happened to own this apartment building that was there. So I understand that the city paid him for the building and they paid him for the land, but he had put a lot of work into the apartment and he didn't want to see it demolished, which was kind of the normal practice. So I think he went to city hall, he went to uh, the traffic department, tried to negotiate with them, but ultimately it was going to be bulldozed. So he worked into the contract that he could get salvage rights for the building, which normally means that you can take out like appliances or. Cupboards, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, when the city crew came to demolish the building, uh, it had disappeared. It was gone. So I'm not sure that the city knew. This is a story that's told through our family. So I think probably to add to the mystery or the excitement of it, um, yeah, and kind of because my grandpa Mikey was a bit of a character. You know, he's a a hardworking guy, but he didn't want to see his apartment just kind of be, you know, gone. So um, months before he had hatched this, like masterminded this plan where he purchased a piece of land. Well, we understood it was about three blocks away uh, and had um, gotten building permits for an apartment that had like the same specs. Uh, poured the foundation, kind of got everything ready, all the utilities, and then uh, in the middle of the night, you guys went to the where the apartment building was. I think you cut it off at like ground level and jacked it up onto the back of the truck, <laughs> moved it, had to move traffic lights maybe, um, and then laid it on this existing foundation that had been previously poured so um, we've been told that like the tenants uh, just moved out for the one night, they were put up in a a hotel room and then the next day they went back to their homes Uh, like everything stayed in the apartment while it was being moved they just um, maybe like strapped some fixtures and stuff so that they didn't didn't shift or didn't sway. So that's sort of the story that I was told (laughs) and uh, some of it may have been you know, elaborated on to kinda add to to the story. But yeah, I'd love to hear the other versions that that maybe are existing and I mean your own recollection of it. Because I don't know if you know but my grandpa Mikey passed away. Yeah, I uh yeah. So uh, he doesn't, of course, can't share his version with us, and my Baba, uh, she has dementia, and so she can't tell us what she remembers either. So my aunts have kind of like pieced things together, but of course they weren't um, living at home during that time, so it's uh, it's just sort of this crazy family story that's circulating, but nobody really knows what, what went down that day, or that All
0: night. All right, well, Mar- Marwin first, what what's your memory? Well, it sounds
4: like a pretty accurate description of what I know. I was just there for the move. I wasn't there for the loading or unloading. And uh, residents that left for one night, I, I don't know if that's <laughs> exactly right. but I don't know if that's true. Because they'd have to hook up the sewer and power and all that. But uh, <clears throat> all I know, it was my, kind of my first job on a moving crew. And it was a long night. That's about all I can remember. Ed? And What
3: I can remember, because we were there for quite a while moving that thing, so everything had to be disconnected uh, days ahead of time. So I don't know if there was anybody, li- I don't think there's anybody living in the house, in the apartment. And from my understanding, he got the, he got the permit and bought, bought the thing for a dollar. I remember a dollar, or something like that, about a dollar.
2: <laughs> that does sound like him he, uh, he would be looking for a deal yeah
3: and and, and and so when he got it for a dollar that was his building so he, he got it rid of all of the people in there because we were, we were there for a few days you now we were there for a few days uh loading it you know right. we couldn't do. i
2: can imagine these things don't just happen
3: no is that true
0: that all the furniture was left inside
3: uh, well i don't i don't well it must, it must have been roughly, nothing, yeah.
4: yeah it could easily be because uh,
3: the only thing that we took out is what was in the basement, you know, because we had to cut all the water lines and the, the power and all that has to be disconnected, you know, before we can move, you know. And not only that, we had to get a permit to move it, so, so that the city takes.
2: Must well, have known about the it. City must uh,
3: know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The city had to know about it, because yeah. Oh yeah. The city knew about it.
0: What I love about your guys' um, version of the story is how sort of just. Like, oh yeah, that was another day in the life for yeah. you guys. But the, like everyone that I've talked to about this story, this is one of the wildest things they've ever heard. But this is, this is what the company Makes the Mover do, does or did, right? Yeah. And they had to shut all the traffic off 97th Street for I
3: don't know how many hours, you know, because the power lines and the street, I know, there were street lights there uh, or whatever. And we had to shut it off, you know.
2: I'm curious to know if um, you know anything about the following date, because what always sort of runs through my head is um, just the expression on the face of the people who are expecting to demolish the building. Like I wonder if they if they did know or if if they did show up and were shocked to see that it had just, was just sort of gone.
0: Maren?
4: No, I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh cuz I was
0: just there that night that's all so I didn't see anyone but it it seems like to to you guys somebody the city must have known because well, the all the had services to know, yeah. had to be disconnected you wouldn't get a permit to move it right. so it seems unlikely that someone would have come to demolish it and been astonished yeah. that it was gone uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think this is another part of why you're curious about it is cuz you want to connect to your grandpa right do oh, you definitely. W- yeah. do you guys remember her grandpa uh, any stories about him no, I don't. All I know he worked for the fire department.
3: And then he had those days off. He, he worked so many days and he have so many days off, you no? Know? And that's all I know, no? And those days he had off when we were moving and you know, so on.
0: Mm, okay. You, yeah. you never had a chance to meet him? No, no, no I didn't. No. That was your first job
4: with the company, really? Well, I was with the company, but in a different department. Okay. This was uh, the first time I went on the moving crew because I needed extra help that night. And eventually, Ed and I bought the business what a few, 90, a few years later
0: um, and uh, what other kinds of things did mix the mover move <laughs> Well, we always took uh, the bigger
4: bigger jobs and uh, but we did everything from we did garages right up to grain elevators and bigger than that.
0: You got a photo album right I do
4: I do I got a book here
0: can we can we see <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so Marwan's pulling out the photo album now. Yeah. Tell, 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 me, tell me what you guys are seeing so we can... Uh, the listeners can well, the first go.
4: part, I guess, is mostly elevators.
2: And it starts in 1973.
4: We, is that uh, when we started? That's, well, when this book was started, yeah. Uh, one elevator we did lay down because of heavy power lines.
2: You should take a picture but of that's, that. But
4: that was a small uh-huh. elevator.
0: Wow.
2: Oh, okay. So, did you move them because the city was expanding and they Well, the stockyards
4: were in that area. Okay. Yeah, the city needed the land. Okay. So, we're looking
0: at a picture of, it's a black and white picture of some cranes tipping a grain elevator on its side to be loaded onto the truck? Is that what's happening? We already
4: got the trailer in place. When the elevator was vertical, we put the trailer, the trailer up, I guess, yeah lifting the trailer up, then strapped it to the trailer, and then with two cranes, we let her down. Tipped the whole building
0: gently onto its side?
4: Wow. Yeah, this next one is uh, Brick School in (laughs) Lloydminster. We moved it from the Saskatchewan part into the the Alberta part.
2: Is that school still there, I wonder? It is, yeah, Yeah. the
4: Bar Colony School. uh, It was two pieces, 1976. And more elevators. Uh, well, this one went to, I uh, forget where it came from, it went to Edmonton. It made picture of the year in 1976.
2: And, uh, no, that's a great picture. If they're on the highway, it looks like, and there's other vehicles. Is that part of the convoy, or are those just vehicles no, traveling? Oh, passing, yeah. This is the yellow They're head. passing.
4: <laughs> this is the yellowhead.
2: Imagine you saw that on the... Yellowhead Highway.
0: (laughs) Little tiny vehicles and this huge grain elevator coming down the road behind them. Then a butane sphere in Regina.
4: And uh, even after we had it loaded and moved a quarter of a mile, there was still engineers saying it can't be done. And we did it.
0: Butane sphere, uh, just for listeners, it looks like a gigantic round spaceship to me, I guess. Huge.
4: More elevators. Here's a (laughs) water tower in Lloydminster that we moved to Kitscotti.
2: Water Tower in Kit Scottie. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we drive through Kit Scottie all the time to yep. go to our uh, friend's cabin. <laughs>
4: yeah, you know, that's that more elevators. Well, we moved over a hundred of them, counting the green annexes. Of course, there's no more elevators to be moved.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, this photo album starts in the '70s, but back in the '60s, you guys moved something bigger. I mean, you moved at the town of Hay River. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. That was... <laughs> in, oh, yeah. 1963, we moved... Uh,
4: because there was a big flood in Hay River, Northwest Territories, uh, most of the town was on an island. So the government uh, had us move the houses from off the island on into a new town site oh, wow. on the mainland. I forget how many houses there were, but there was... I wasn't uh, on a job. I, st- I
3: started in
0: 1980, so for my time. I I am looking at these pictures of of a reservoir on the back of a truck and it still seems extraordinary to me. How do you do that? How do you move something that huge?
4: Well, you do it carefully. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about this big tank in Calgary? Yeah. Yeah, well, we set up uh, jacks, which we got from the uh, army surplus in the United States, these long jacks. Attached them around and uh, they would go up All 15, 20 feet once you started lifting. So we attached them around the tank and lifted her up and put our our equipment under our beams and dollies and then uh, set it down. And we left the jacks on the tank and cabled around it to hold them in place so that when we got to the new spot, we wouldn't have to reset them. We just let them down and within an hour yeah. the tank was unloaded
0: um one thing that pamela wasn't able to confirm was when her grandpa's building was moved do you do you guys have any firmer kind of timeline
4: I think it was late 70s or uh, well, it has uh,
0: been after because i started in the 80s so oh so 80, 81, 80 81,
4: somewhere
0: there we were uh her family's photo album suggested that it was fall of 1981 yeah. does Good that bad. sound
2: right it looks like fall doesn't it like if you look because at the picture i started working there in uh,
3: april of uh, 1980 so
2: this is way bigger than an apartment building that was a, ho- a hotel
0: a three-story hotel <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i have uh some other pictures i thought you might be interested in because um, i was talking to people about like what would you need to, to prove that this this actually happened and, and somebody said well you know a picture it says a thousand words. So um, since we know the address of the, now, now we know the old address, yes. um, I was able to find an aerial satellite, or sorry, aerial photo um, from a plane survey done in 1980. So that square right there, right
3: here.
0: yeah, that's just north of 119th Ave. Hmm. That is your grandpa's building in 1980. And this right there oh, yeah. is your grandpa's building moved in 1984. So that was the, the closest timeline okay. we were able to yeah. find in the aerial photographs. That is
2: helpful though, because I think uh, 1980 was sort of in question. So knowing that it was in the old location helps to kind of pinpoint it. Look at how different the, the whole roadway looks.
0: You can see it got widened. That
2: yeah. is cool. Thank you for doing that digging. Yes, you're full of surprises. <laughs> um,
0: if you do, if you guys don't mind, um, when I was talking to Barbara about Ron, um, she mentioned how he'd passed away, and um, I, I, it wasn't mentioned in the obituary, but I, I think it is um, kind of an important piece of this story. Do you guys mind talking about that?
4: No. Um, let's see if I can find a similar picture with uh, kind of... I don't know if it's one. There's Ron Mix moving his very first elevator. That was in Ellerslie. And, uh, okay, a lot of these uh, big oil storage tanks, uh, uh, they usually are, start sinking. You know, The walls start sinking below and they're not level and there's lots of stress and dangerous. So uh, we got into raising these tanks, these big tanks, and rebuilding the pad sometimes we put concrete or just tamp uh, new material under there anyway uh, the last job Ron worked on you had a tank lifted up this is a tank this is the bottom of the floor
2: so they're standing the underneath t- uh,
4: this is underneath we lifted it up with those high jacks that I told you about in that elevator on that tank and so enough to high enough to get equipment under there to rebuild the pad this was in Louisiana after Katrina right It was in yeah. Louisiana. Uh, He had an oil refinery there, and while they had this one tank up, he was under the tank, just at the edge of it, actually, uh, kind of refixing the base of one of these jacks because it started to look unsafe. And while he was under there, all of a sudden, all the jacks, they all started to sink and went right down, and he was in the bobcat underneath the tank, and uh, he was crushed and didn't have any time at all to get out. Came so quick. Were I, either of you down in Louisiana with him? No, no. no. We were on our, we had our own business by then, the building moving, the building part of it.
3: <clears throat> the guy said he, one minute, he, he had another about well, two feet to get on out of the Bobcat. He says one minute I was talking to him, the next minute he was talking with the Lord. He was gone, and it took him, took him
0: hours to get him out of there. You know? That must have been pretty sobering thinking about your own work. and
4: yeah. Well, it's a high-risk high job, risk. yeah, for <laughs> sure, because talk to the insurance companies and they don't like to insure you.
3: <laughs> yeah. We had a water tower in uh, Pincher Creek, you know. Remember that big one? They told us it was a 1,000 tons and only? No, a tank. A tank? It was a big tank, yeah. A big tank, yeah. Big tank. And here we had all these jacks sitting there. They, they would take out... Uh, Ten by forty piece out and leave one in. You know, it looked like a, your teeth. Like, you know, taking it down. Yeah. And then when we got, her, got it all down, we couldn't let her down, so it sat on, on these jacks all night long, in Fincher Creek.
4: And the jacks were these big jacks here were just bowed. We didn't know. Bent out what. to the side. Yeah, we didn't know what to do. But uh, uh, Ron Mix has got a good head on his shoulder, and uh, he knew what to do by morning. After a sleepless night, and so we got her down safely.
3: What, what did you do? What was the solution? Oh, I put oil on the backside of the jack,
0: let him down. How we didn't get killed, I don't know. <laughs> you guys have done some pretty extraordinary work. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
4: every job is different. It has a different challenge to it. I mean, no, no two jobs are the same because it goes to different places, or you have to go under over bridges or under wires, and, you know, no two's the same.
0: So. You're both retired now. Do you miss it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not now. No.
2: So all things considered, this apartment move probably wasn't the hardest thing oh, that you did oh, by oh, any stretch. Oh. To us, it does seem like a big feat of you know superhuman capabilities. <laughs>
0: Thank you guys so much for sharing this. I, I this is such a great record. All, all these photos.
4: Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if we helped you much on the apartment building. We can't, you know, that's thirty-five years ago, and well, I, I can't remember what I
0: did story. yesterday. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
2: Slowly, we're piecing it together, aren't we? Yeah. Everybody's uh, recollection is helping to add to the story.
0: Okay, um, um, so Pamela, yes, you approached me a couple months ago with this question. Can we confirm this story about your grandpa Mikey? How do you feel about the what we what we went through the process?
2: Well, definitely, I feel confident that it happened, um, and uh, yeah, the process has been interesting. I've I've learned a lot about how to uncover history when you don't have all the details. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but. Chris, you have done a fantastic job, so thank you for just not giving up. And, and his perseverance has been amazing. I have to tell you, every time I'm like, oh, I just don't know where we're gonna look next, he's got an idea, and obviously full of surprises. So it has been fun. It's been uh, It's been an adventure for sure. I definitely won't be revisiting microfilm anytime soon. <laughs> that was the least exciting part. <laughs>
0: Um, do you do you wanna say anything else about your your grandpa?
2: Um I yeah, I guess I don't know him that well. He passed away when I was thirteen, so uh I think this process has sort of helped me get to know him a little bit better, even through my aunts just and people who knew him, sharing their experiences with him. He he clearly is a hard working guy who who doesn't give up easily, but also yeah, a bit of a a bit of a character, I think, always looking for, you know, a, a way to kind of stick it to the man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to, to kind of explore this little piece of our, our family history and I hope that, yeah, all this sort of collective knowledge is, can come together so that we can share it. Yeah. Beyond. <laughs> I will continue to tell the story. Let's just say that. And maybe I'll add a few of your details so that it's not just what I've heard through family retellings. (laughs) Maybe a little more honest uh, interpretation.
0: I'm so glad Pamela approached me with this question and trusted me with her family story. It felt so good to be able to dig up evidence that the best parts of the story were true. The building really was picked up and moved down the street before the city could demolish it because of the kind of person her grandpa Mike Owosu, was and the hard work of Ron Mix and Ed Marusin and Marwin Marston and the rest of their crew. We did find out that it was only moved one block, not three. We also learned that the city must have known in advance that it was happening since Mix the Mover had to get a permit and disconnect all the power and water services in advance. And we still don't have a date that it all happened but I feel confident now, saying this story is true. You know, we take in so much information these days. Think of how many links you scroll through on social media. We all know on some level that not all those articles are this well researched. Now, no human being has time to do this level of investigation into every story they read, but I hope this episode is an argument for being the kind of person who doesn't take every story at face value, even when they care a lot about the story kind of person who digs in, does their homework, weighs out what kind of evidence are most credible, and why. Be a Pamela. I think that she's exactly the kind of hero that we need right now. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. I love hearing what you guys think of the show, and I want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop me a line at Chris at let'sfindoutpodcast.com. You can listen to the rest of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and let'sfindoutpodcast.com. Okay, thank you Tim. Thank you to Pamela Learman for inviting me on this journey. Thank you to Heather Close at the Alberta Legislature Library and Melissa McCarthy at the City of Edmonton Archives. To Adam Love, Barbara Hutt, and all of Pamela's relatives. And thanks very, very much to Marwin Marston and Ed Marusin for being good sports. Thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. To everyone else who's been supporting it, especially Finn. I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of you who've left a review on iTunes. Thank you to Familiar Cleo, Seen and Her Dieg, Derek Olay, Y. Kawar, Thez, Abused Tampon, The Wild Kindness, KRS Rambler, Brian Yah, Tim Edmonton, Mo Edmonton, AJ Adrianne, and Coco Magic, I think. And thank you to Hannah and Marcel at Witch Please for inspiring me to thank everybody. Original music for this podcast is by the really lovely human being Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Herji at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. Until next time, keep your questions coming.